The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Well, good morning, Tower View. This is your Sunday School lesson for Sunday, April 25th. We, I am, I am, I am, I am mentally fatigued. I am not in Kansas City. I am in Aurora, Colorado, or near Aurora, Colorado, by the airport in Denver. And I am recording this on Sunday, Saturday night. Saturday night I am recording it, and you will see it Sunday morning or later. So I thank you for watching and all. Who am I? What is going on here? Are you the first, if you've never seen this before? Um, let's see. Let's make sure I click the right buttons, and there it appears over my head. I am with Tower View Baptist Church out of Kansas City, Missouri. If you want to find out more about us, check out TowerViewKC.com or our Facebook page, Tower View Baptist Church. And there's our phone number. So on, on the website, you can contact us. There's a way you can send us messages. But you can also call, voice call, or you can text our church line, 816-368-1330. We have the ability to receive both voice and text on that phone number. So you are welcome to do either one of those. If you have a comment, a question, a thought um, about who is this God we're talking about? Why, why are you talking about Jesus this way? Me personally, I am Nelson Nisley, associate pastor here at Tower View. And so I've been teaching this class online, Facebook Live, although I am not live today. So I apologize. I will not be shouting out any names. Um, be, because of that, um, so I am doing my army duty this weekend, as as it does. With we, the, the COVID restrictions are being restricted or being lifted, and I can do more of that. So that's where we're at today. Um, let's see. I am going to click that and click that and make that go away. So if you have your lesson plans, we are in lesson number eight. Lesson number eight. We're in Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. And let's start with a word of prayer. Lord God, we just thank you and praise you for all the blessings that you have. Help us to be your servants in all that we do. Help us as we study your word for a few minutes today. That you will open our hearts and our minds, our souls, our emotions, everything that is about us that you can touch us. It might be you touching us for the hundredth time because we have been saved and we have been serving you for many years. And Lord, it might be touching you for the first time. If you are listening to this and you have never given your heart to Christ, you have never repented of your sins, you can do that for the very first time today. And so I pray that this will open your eyes. I pray that the Holy Spirit will touch your heart. 
We just pray all this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. So we've been continuing our study through the book of Luke. And we, we had skipped a couple of weeks because of Thanksgiving, or not Thanksgiving, of Palm Sunday and Easter. And so we, we continue on, and we're in Luke 22. Um, and this is still part of what we call Passion Week. In Passion Week, it's the week from Palm Sunday to Easter. And that is not a biblical phrase. That is a, a term that we have just come up, up with over the years to describe, to just a convenient way to describe this week is that it is Passion Week. And so during this Passion Week, Jesus has went, went to the temple and turned over the tables. He has been challenged numerous times by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They are trying to trip him up with, with his teachings because they are upset with him. Last week, we looked at a parable that he told that they understood was a parable against them, against the, the Jewish leadership, because they have rejected God, and they were rejecting Jesus. And because of that, they were angry. Multiple times it says during this time, they were looking for a way to arrest him, that they might kill him. And they keep looking, and they keep looking. And Jesus keeps going to the temple and teaching and they keep being, they can't catch them in a snag that they can arrest them because Jesus keeps putting them in their place. Because Jesus knows the scriptures better than they do. Because they don't believe with God. They don't believe that Jesus is sent from God. That he is the Messiah or even the prophet. They don't believe it. They didn't believe that John the Baptist was a prophet. And so they reject the things of God. And so they cannot defeat Jesus any more than Satan could when Satan went up head to head when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Yeah, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan directly. And so they keep losing on every encounter. And just the, the, the blood is just boiling in them. But Jesus knows what is going to happen. Jesus knows the future. He knows his future. And so that's where we are. That's where we're continuing on. And so we continue on here in Matthew, in Matthew, in Luke 22, and we're going to start in verse 7. Luke 22, verse 7. And so I just kind of gave you the background of all the different things that are happening. Um, in, in verses 1 through 7 of, of Luke 22, we see that Judas goes to the Pharisees and says, I will help you capture Jesus. I will. I'll, I know where he goes. You can capture him when he's not among the people. And they paid him. And so we, we find that. But then we go from that to Jesus here in, in, in 22.7, Luke 22.7, with Jesus talking to his disciples about what's going to happen later for that day. So in Luke 22, 7, it says this. Then the day of unleavened bread came when the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. Listen, he said to them, When you've entered the city, a man carrying a water, a water jug will meet you. Follow him to the house he enters. Tell the owner of the house, the teacher asks you, where is the guest room where I can 
eat the Passover with my disciples. Then he will show you a large furnished room. Make the preparations there. So they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. So why did they have to find a place? Why didn't they just where Jesus was staying? Well, Jesus was staying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Basically, they were camping. They were sleeping outside. They they were sleeping out in the woods, out in the, out in a, a cared for garden. And so that was not a place to have the Passover meal. You needed to have it someplace inside. And so Jesus had a plan. It's interesting that he doesn't tell the whole plan up front. He has he waits for them to ask questions. He, he just first he just told them go and make preparations, and they're going okay where? We're out here in the out here in, in this garden, out in this nice green place, but this is not a place for the Passover meal. And so Jesus gave them some unexpected instructions. He didn't say hey go down to you know. 101 Main Street, and, and uh, there, there'll be a house there, and you go to the, you know, knock on the door of the upstairs apartment. No, he, that's not what he said. He, he, get, he get, his instructions were um, more unusual. So he said, go into the city. So, the, like, they, they were outside the city. They had to cross the Kidron Valley and go into the Jerusalem. The same path that they would, probably the same path they took on Palm Sunday. But now there was nobody cheering and, and out there lining the street. And when they get into the city, they would find a man carrying a, a jug of water. Men didn't do that. That was women's work. Why was this man carrying a jug of water? We don't know. Was Did he work for a man who didn't have any women servants? Or maybe the women servants they had were injured, were hurt, sick. They couldn't do it. So somebody had to get the water. It doesn't say. They didn't have indoor plumbing. If you wanted water, you had to send somebody out to the the city well, and they had to use the bucket on a rope and lower it down and bring it up and, and, and fill up your, your jug, your jar, and then carry it awkwardly back to your house. That's how you got water. So you just sit and let the water run because somebody had to make that trip and, and go get it. And so this man, this, which was unusual, did it. And here's Peter... And John, and they see the man carrying the jug. Now the question is, did they talk to him while they were walking? Hey, dude, we're, 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 we're going to follow you to your house. Or did they just like awkwardly follow him to his house? It, it doesn't say. But they get to the house, and they talk to the owner, who was not the man carrying the jug of water. That was just a servant. And then give him the words that Jesus said. The teacher asks you, and so this man knew who the teacher was. And there was a room that was already furnished for the Passover meal. That seems odd. You know, many people think, it's like, well, Jesus must have, when he was there a year ago, pre, you know, talked to this guy and told him, hey, next, next Passover, we, I like to have a place. And that very well could have been what happened. Or, God, through the Holy Spirit, touched this man to set up a room, not knowing who was going to use it. Or maybe this man had, there was another group, There was maybe his family or some other group was going to use it, but for some reason, they couldn't use it. Something came up, something happened, 
that they couldn't meet together. Now he had a room set up with nobody to use it. Whatever it was, it wasn't a coincidence that this room was ready and it was the right size for Jesus and the 12 disciples. Not a coincidence. God was in this. God was in this. This is just another thing that was a part of the plan for what Jesus came. None of this is God playing it by ear. Jesus is not playing it by ear, trying to figure out how this is all going to happen. This was prepared from eternity past for the present, for eternity future. And so Peter and John did the things they knew to do the Passover. For the Passover meal, sometimes what's called the Seder meal. And they did this every year. If you want to know about this and what it is, go back to the Old Testament and you can read about the tenth plague that the God put on the Egyptians for the Israelites at the end of chapter 11, Exodus chapter 11. Read all of chapter 12. It gives you more details. And it also, Moses put in there, okay, this is what you're going to do in the years ahead for this meal. And it goes off into the first part of chapter 13. So you go back to Exodus chapter 12 and read a little bit, the last part of 11 and the first part of 13. You'll figure out what verses to read. You're smart people. So if you want to know about this Passover meal, what they were doing, why they were doing it, that's how you find out. You go back and read scripture. Exodus chapter 12, plus or minus a little bit. And that's what they were doing. They were celebrating this. Devout Jews and, and semi-devout Jews do this every single year. And the Jews still do this every single year. As a chaplain in the military, um, we, we provide Seder meals for uh, Jewish soldiers who are deployed so they can participate in this meal at, at Passover, not at Easter, at Passover. Because they still practice this meal to this day. And so that leads us to the actual supper. So time passes. Peter and John do all the preparations that, they, that they're supposed to do, that they've been trained over the years. And, and even today, the, the, the Seder meal, kids are a part of it. It's not just a thing for the adults to do, like we think of like big church. It's a family event. The kids participate in the preparation of the Seder meal. They participate in the eating of the Seder meal. It's a family event. And it's done by families. It's not done at the synagogue. It's not necessarily done by rabbis. It's done by the families. As it's been handed down through scripture and through Jewish tradition. And so in verse 14, we get the actual meal. So going back to Luke chapter 22, verse 14. When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I tell you, From now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread 
gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them and said, This is my body which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This is the new covenant of my, in my blood, which is poured out for you. I'm going to stop there. And so here we have the meal. So it doesn't give us the details of the Seder meal itself. But we know that that's what they were doing. And at some point in time, during the meal, before, during, after the Seder meal, it doesn't say, he said, I, he told him, I, I fervently desire this because I'm going to set before I suffer. And as you read through the book of Luke, and if you don't remember where there is, we've, we've pointed out some of those as we studied through Luke. Jesus numerous times predicts what's going to happen when he goes to Jerusalem this last time. That he's going to die, that he's going to suffer. And sometimes when he told it, he said he was going to rise again. And the disciples were thick-headed. They didn't understand. And they didn't get it. It wasn't sinking in. They didn't think that Jesus was talking literally. There's no way he could be talking literally. That just People don't talk about their death that way. And people don't know when they're going to die. And people don't know how they're going to die. Because that's one of the great mysteries of, of our lives. Is we don't know when and we don't know how we're going to die. I mean, think about the people you know, loved ones you know, and the winds and the hows they died. There is no way they knew what was coming. Sometimes, if you have cancer or some other tragic disease, you might get a heads up of a few days to a few weeks. But even then, if you go back a few years, it was a surprise to you. You didn't know it when you were younger. And then we think about the friends and loved ones who die tragically, instantly, in, in a car crash, or some other accident, or a victim of a crime, or you know some other disaster that happens upon our lives. There's no way to predict that. You know, as a chaplain, there's no way to predict which soldiers are going to die in combat. And sometimes soldiers die and they're not in combat. They die in freak car crashes or some freak training accident. That something goes wrong. You can't predict that. But Jesus didn't, didn't live life with that unknown the way you and I do. He knew when he was going to die. He knew how he was going to die. He knew all the circumstances of how he was going to die. Which considering the way he died, that's, that's, that's a lot to bear. The way he was going to be publicly humiliated and publicly executed. But he knew that. And he was knew, and he's thinking about that. The divine Jesus knew the future. The human Jesus had emotional issues with it. Now I'm going to say issues. That's the wrong word. Um... But he had, he was in turmoil of it. And we see that, and we see that later when he's praying in the garden. Sweat drops of blood. And so he was in turmoil over that, which is understandable. You and I would be in turmoil over it too. Think how much turmoil we have over the troubles we have in life when you have to do public speaking, um, which studies have shown more people are afraid of public speaking than they are afraid of their own death. Um, 
you're afraid of public speaking, you're afraid of um, other other things in life, a job interview, um, you, the, your wedding day, the, the birth of your first child, the, the, the qualms and the turmoil that you have over those things. And that's what Jesus is having plus more because he knew all, and he knew the impact that his death and resurrection was going to have on all of human history. And so he had that to, to motivate him, to the, but it still put him in turmoil. Jesus had emotions. He was not stoic. We see multiple times where Jesus wept. We see times when he rejoiced because Satan, he said Satan was like Satan was falling out of heaven because of your preaching when he sent the disciples out. He was disappointed when people didn't have the faith to believe what he could do. But he was rejoiced when Zacchaeus repented and turned to God. And he rejoiced when he saw the blind beggar just call him the son of David and, and, and act in faith and others who acted in faith that were healed. And here he's coming up to the end of his life. Later that night of this meal, after this meal, a few hours after this meal, he was going to be arrested. And so that's why he says in verse, you know, in verse 15, I fervently desire to eat this meal with you before I suffer. Verse 16, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. This kind of throws us for a loop, I mean, scholars for a loop, and me too. I will not eat it again, that, assumes, that seems to be the Seder meal, the Passover meal, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. What's that second it for? We don't know. It's not obvious from the text what that is referring to. Many people have speculated, but it's speculation. We can't prove it. It's just another scripture we have to take by faith. And that when whatever it is will happen, we'll know it without a doubt. It'll be it'll be plain. But it hasn't happened yet, so it's not plain. Fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Is that the kingdom of God here on earth or the kingdom of God in heaven? We don't know. We don't know. It's not plain. But when it happens, we will know. I am not a prophet or a son of a prophet or the cousin of a prophet or the nephew of a prophet. I don't know. But I know when you read the Old Testament prophecies and you look at Jesus and oh... Get it. When this happens in the future sometime, we'll go, oh, get it. We'll understand it perfectly. But until then, it's a mystery. And if we were meant to know exactly what it meant, Jesus would have spelled it out plainly. And so he continues, not with the Seder meal, but just with what he is going to do next. So he's changing up the Passover meal. So the disciples probably had confused looks on their faces. Like, what are we doing? In verse 17, Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, 
How did he give thanks? What did he say? How did he pray? It doesn't say what he said. It doesn't say how he prayed. How did he give thanks for the wine? It doesn't say. But he said, Take this, share it among yourselves, for I tell you, from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Jesus will not drink from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. When is that? Second Tuesday of next week. I don't know when it's going to be. We don't know. And if you hear any preacher say, it's going to be, and he gives you a date, he's wrong. Because God hasn't told us. It's not there for us to decipher. There are not magic formulas in the Bible. You don't know. I have in my lifetime, just in my lifetime, have heard so many people predict the end times. I remember I was in high school. I think I was a sophomore. I remember walking around the school that day because some, the church I was going to at the time liked to preach about Revelation and the end times, and we watched the Thief in the Night series, and I read a novel about the resurrection, and this was all before Left Behind was made. So I did a whole Left Behind thing before Left Behind was even a thing. And so I remember walking around high school that day, wondering if I would go home that day. If Jesus was coming back that day. Obviously, he didn't, because that was back in the 1980s. And people, many people have predicted that since then. And every single prediction of when Jesus is coming back has been wrong. And not just the American preachers, there's Korean preachers, there have been preachers in other countries and other continents that have predicted this, and they've all been wrong. Every single one of them. So we don't know when the kingdom of God is coming, and we don't know what it's going to look like when it comes. We get some clues back in Revelation, maybe in Daniel, but it's not very good clues. There's a lot of variables there, which is why we have so many views on the end times. We have amillennial and premillennial and postmillennial and panmillennial. And then we got all the different views about the tribulation. Some people don't believe that the tribulation is ever going to happen. And others, you know, is Jesus coming back at the, at the beginning of the tribulation, in the middle of it, or at the end of it? Frankly, we don't know. We can think we know. We can have a, but we don't know. And to make endless speculations and spend time and time and time trying to figure it all out is, is a waste of time. Yes, Jesus is coming back someday. And I imagine some element of amillennialism is going to be right, and some element of postmillennialism is going to be right, and some element of premillennialism is going to be right. Which ones? I don't know. But when it happens, we will know for sure, absolutely. And we should live with the hope and the and 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 the. Um, um, with, with the eternal hope that Jesus is coming back, that this world is temporary. God is coming back and he's going to change things up. It may be in our lifetime, it may not. But he says, it, when it comes, you will know. 
So take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Some take this that we should never drink alcohol because we should be like Jesus. Well, we're not dying and being raised from the dead. Okay, so that is this is not a scripture on saying that we should never drink alcohol. That's a completely separate issue. But this is not a scripture that says that. This is what Jesus said he's going to do. It was not a command for us. He didn't say, and you will not drink of the fruit of the vine until I come back. That's not what he said. He says, I'm not going to do it. And he left it at that. And he continues on in verse 19. And he took the bread, which had a very important meaning in the Seder meal. It was unleavened bread because they baked it in a hurry. And so they didn't want to take take the time for it to rise. So they had unleavened bread. But Jesus multiple times said, you know, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees because it, it was, it was a, a word picture for sin. Now, you know, a little yeast can get into our lives, a little leaven, and it can, while well, a little leaven will affect a whole loaf of bread, a whole, a little sin will get in and affect our whole lives. While leaven and bread is a good thing, sin in our lives is not. And so he took that unleavened bread, which is why most of the time we use little crackers and little wafers that are unleavened. And he gave it to them. He broke it. So he, it was like a big piece, and he, he tore, off, tore off a piece. And he says, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You read through the Gospels. Read through the Gospel of John. He talks about his body. And that unless you eat of my flesh... You will not understand. You will not get into the kingdom of God. And people left him because it was a hard thing. It's like, how can we eat your flesh? We're not cannibals. But here Jesus is taking a piece of bread and said, this is my bread. This is my body, which is given for you, which in a few hours, the next day, he was his body was going to be up on that cross being executed for us. Disciples couldn't have grasped that at that point in time. But they would within a couple days. This is my body which is given you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This is my this is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And so it mentions the cup again. Some of you may notice in your Bibles, depending on what translation you have, there's a footnote in verse 19. And it says, from, in verse 19, from the point where it says, Do this in remembrance of me in all of verse 20, there are some copies of ancient copies of Scripture in the Greek that don't have that verse and a half. And the fact that the blood is meant, the cup is mentioned twice, kind of supports that. It kind of almost doesn't make sense. Why would he do it twice? But here, here's the thing. I'm not doubting scripture, okay? Here's the thing that we have to look at when we look at scriptures like that, when there's a footnote like that that the scholars have put in. The scriptures that we use that was used to make the King James version of the Bible 
It's called the Texas Receptus, or the Received Text is another name for it. And we have thousands of old, ancient copies of those. Big, huge stack. Way up, big, big stack, way high. And so there's a common theme there. But through archaeology, we have found reliable scriptures that are older. But the thing is, we only find a few of them, a handful. And there's like, you know, a half a dozen or so, I didn't count when I was looking at the thing, of them that have this reading where the, the verse and a half is missing. Now, when you say it's missing, if you read the other Gospels, it's there. These words are there in the other Gospels. And so, so it's not like, if you take it out here, it's not, it's nowhere. No, it's still there. It's still in the other Gospels. Somebody say, hey, this is just like the other Gospel. We ought to copy it over there. Maybe, and we don't know what happened. But then we, so we have a, a couple old reliable texts that have this missing. But this huge stack over here has them in there, that, but they're not as old. And generally speaking, the closer you get to the source, the more um, more likely you, you have the reliable copy. It's not a guarantee. But we, we, you know, without time travel, we can't go back and see how those copies were made and where they came from and who made them and all those details. So scholars have to go, okay, what do we do with this? In this case, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. They left the scripture in the script, in the text, but put a footnote that said that some manuscripts have it missing. Sometimes it's the reverse. They'll take the text out and put it in a, a footnote and say, some scriptures have that this is missing. And how or why they do one versus the other is beyond me. But they have their reasons. And so it's there. I'm not saying it. And, and just because it's not in some and it's in others, should we doubt that it's there? I don't think so. My personal, because it support, it's support, it's it's not an, um, a completely, a saying that is like counter to everything else in Scripture. Like I said, these ver- that verse and a half, you can find those words in the other Gospels. It's not a foreign thing. So what does he say? He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant that we read about in Jeremiah 31. Which is poured out for you. It's poured out. When is his blood poured out? Well, it was going to be poured out the next day on at his execution. And we read in, in John how a spear went into his side and blood and water flowed. But even before that, he was bleeding just from the whipping and, and all the other things that went with the execution. So his blood was flowing um, before that. And so we have this. And this is what Jesus is. In. It's here. He did it as a prophecy for his, his death, which was just happening the next day. But it was also there for us. That's why we do the Lord's Supper. It was there for us. It is there for us today as we do the Lord's Supper to go back and see what Jesus did, how this these events came about, God-ordained events came about at the right time in history. And that we can do this and it re- remind us of the salvation that we got. Because the Seder meal itself, the Passover meal, 
was a reminder to the Jewish nation of their salvation out of Egypt, out of slavery, into the freedom of the promised land. It was their salvation. And now Jesus is taking this meal and turn it from the salvation of the nation of Israel to your salvation. Not of a whole nation, but you yourself. How God has saved you and all your brothers and sisters in Christ. The ones that have passed on, the ones that are still here, the ones that are to come in the future. And that's why he did this. It's And this meal is in all four Gospels. But yet, even in the celebration of this, so Jesus was getting ready to suffer. He did this for the disciples, for you, and he did it for you and me. But he also remembered in verse 21, But look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me. For the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined. Hasn't been determined by Judas. It hasn't been determined by the Pharisees. It's been determined by God. But woe to the man to whom he is betrayed. So they begin to argue about themselves. So instead of pondering what are the meanings of these words that Jesus had? They're all arguing about that. Well, who's, who, which one of us is betraying him? And they're all looking at each other like, is it you? Is it you? Not me, is it? No, I, I don't want to betray Jesus. And, and Judas may have been also not going, not me. He, he may not have considered what he was doing as a betrayal. He thought Jesus was the Messiah. He was going to give him a reason to rise up. And that's not what happened. Because a, God is not manipulated by us. And B, that was not God's plan. So these scriptures are here for you and for me to celebrate the omniscience of God, how he knew what was going to happen in the future. We celebrate the prophecies of God, how he planned this from eternity past. And he told us, he gave us snippets of it throughout the Old Testament. From Genesis on, every book, there are snippets of it. Some are bigger snippets than others. But they all point towards the Messiah. They pointed to Jesus. And even though the Pharisees and the scholars and the scribes at the time didn't under every, understand every scripture the way Jesus interpreted it in the way the apostles interpreted it later. They were still there. And they didn't deny their truth just because some earthly men didn't know how to interpret them. Because they either didn't believe in their heart or they just didn't have the foreknowledge that God did. And we must take that into account when we read scriptures. Especially prophecy. We are not God. We do not have the foreknowledge of God. And in the same way, things were mysterious for the Messiah and they had to accept him on faith when he did show up. It's the same thing that's going to happen in our future if you are here when the kingdom of God comes. You're going to have to accept it on faith. You will have to accept And others will reject it because of their lack of faith. Just like what happened in Jesus' time. Some of the Pharisees did believe Jesus. Most did not. Some of the people who did follow Jesus, most did not. 
So some accepted him on faith, others did not. They rejected him because of their lack of faith. And that's why that is here. So you can celebrate your faith. That we can celebrate our faith together when we do the Lord's Supper at church. Whether it's at Tower View or at your home church someplace else in the country. Or someplace else in the world. That's why this is here. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you and praise you for this scripture. Help us to use it to encourage us to understand who you are and to understand who we are. That you are the mighty God. You are the omniscient, the omnipotent God. And we were just lowly, sinful humans who struggle to live by faith each and every day. Help us to use this scripture to encourage us, to help us to live by faith knowing that we have a better future for us than this earth. That heaven is in our future. And this world will pass away. And so we pray this in the mighty, omnipotent, omniscient, holy, merciful, compassionate name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I thank you for watching and listening. And once again, um, I am Pastor Nelson Nisley with Tower View Baptist Church. You can check us out at towerviewkc.com. You can call us there on that number, 816-368-1330. So I'm not doing this live this week. I am doing it from a remote site, and we'll upload it, and you will see it at the same time, assuming technology works. So I thank you. So church is, as you're watching this, this today at 1030 at Tower View, we have drive-in church. Come to the church, park in the parking lot, listed to 90.7. Um, if you have made reservations to come inside, you're welcome to come inside. Uh, Darren's goal this week is to preach outside from the our new preacher's porch. And you can do that. So you can watch them if you're outside. You can you can watch them there. The praise team, as always, music is from inside. And then we will, assuming once again, assuming technology works, uh, we will stream the sermon, the sermon only, on Facebook Live as it happens. And so since he's preaching outside this week, uh, we'll stream the sermon, but it will be audio only. There'll be just a still picture during the sermon. Um, we haven't got the capabilities to have an outside camera. But that's okay. We don't, we don't, that's not a requirement of the faith. That's just a nice thing. And so I pray that, um, all will work, uh, correctly this week as those in, in my place will be taking care of the technology, Tom and others, Tom and Brennan and, and possibly others. So I thank you for watching and thank you for listening. I thank you for your dedication uh, and watching this. And if this is helpful to you, share it on your, on your, um, in, in your wall on your Facebook page, like it. That more people will see it. That, that tells Facebook that it, it's a good thing. More people want to see it. So help the algorithms, as they say. Um, so I thank you for watching and listening. God bless. And have a, a wonderful and, and great Sunday. I'll see you later. God bless.